It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me, or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Topping our politics lead a little more than five months remain before American voters head to the polls for the critical midterm elections. It is looking less and less likely that Democrats will be able to keep control of the House of Representatives, where Democrats currently only hold a 12-seat majority. CNN senior data reporter Harry Anson joins us live. Harry, if you're a Republican running for re-election or trying to unseat a Democrat, things are looking pretty good, right? I would say they're looking very good from a historical context. So basically, I took the best Republican positions on the generic congressional ballot at this point in midterm cycles since 1938. That generic ballot basically is, uh, would you vote for the generic Republican or generic Democrat in your district? And guess what? Since 1938, the Republican two-point lead on the generic congressional ballot is the best position for Republicans at this point in any midterm cycle in over 80 years. It beats 2010 when Republicans were up a point. It beats 14 2002, 1998, where Democrats led by a point. And in all of those four prior examples that make this list of the top five, look at that. Who won a majority? It was the Republicans who won a majority. Now, of course, the election is not being held tomorrow, and we'll see. Sometimes history isn't always prologue. But, but my estimate for the 2023 House makeup, if the election were held today, which again, it isn't, we still have five months, Five months from tomorrow would be Republicans 236 seats to 241 seats. Democrats 194 to 199. That's based off of a formula of seat to seat race ratings from both the Cook Political Report and Inside Elections. All right. That was a report from, wait a minute, CNN. And maybe you're hearing that. It's pretty amazing, first of all, that they're seeing that at CNN, that it's a kind of a slam dunk for Republicans in the fall election. That's pretty amazing from CNN, but that's what we heard. I just, um, while I don't want you to be discouraged, I really don't want you to be played. And I am just uh, suspicious. Uh, first of all, I, do, I think when we've watched the left uh, achieve so much power this last, well, how long has President Biden been president? Not even two years. And look what they have done. Look what they have achieved. Look how much power they've taken. Look how they have really transformed our lives, taken away our cars, almost. I'll get to that. And I, actually, there's story on, stories on electric cars this morning. But um, look at all the things they've managed to do. Force hundreds of thousands of Americans, millions, really, to take vaccines. Uh, you know, just wielded their power incredibly. So I think you need to be careful to think that October, November is going to be a slam dunk for Republicans. I can't imagine that the left is not, because they always do, plan and scheme. I think they have plans and I think they have schemes. I have an idea. I'm not going to talk about it right now this morning, but all I want you to be is 
cautiously optimistic, not foolishly. I don't want you to be taken by surprise. I also would ask that you not be lethargic. In your effort to elect good people where you are, we've talked about this every day. Yesterday was the primary in several states. And um, I, I, I would, you know, if there weren't so much news this morning, I would open up the phone lines because I'd love to see what you found in your various districts. I don't have a report on that yet. It's probably too early this morning uh, for me to have results of some of the races we talked about. But tomorrow, if I have a chance, I'll do that. Uh, but I just want you to please, please, please don't don't disengage or be uh, haphazard about your involvement or your voting because you're hearing reports like that from CNN. Just don't do it. It's possible in my dark moments, it's possible that you're being manipulated, that they want us to think that. Uh, because they want us to slack off and because they have a, they don't want us to look at what they might have in store. So just be careful in your mind and cautious. And, of course, um, there were lots of states that had primaries yesterday. We talked about it a great deal. But one state that had primaries was California. And California, as I understand it, their biggest concern uh, has been crime. You've seen the, the videos of uh, just people just walking in stores and cleaning off the shelves in broad daylight. And being allowed to do that, uh, you've, you've heard the uptick of murders, of robberies. Of, uh, you've seen uh, stories of what's happening in San Francisco. And, and so that brings me to, uh, actually, to San Francisco, because I will just uh, spoil the, spoil the uh, pulling out this story. District Attorney Chase Bowden, Bodine uh, was defeated. I mean, really defeated last night. San Francisco voted to recall him with 61% compared to 39% who wanted him to stay. And Chase Bodine, just to, to remind you, I, I could spend a lot of time talking about this. I actually wish I could because it has to do with a group that I followed for years. Hang on. Sorry, allergies this morning. Uh, the uh, Weather Underground was a, a subversive communist organization during my early days. And trust me, I watched this very carefully. They were radical, wicked. And they were led by um, spoiled white kids. One of them was the son of the CEO for Commonwealth Edison in Chicago. Much of this happened, uh, Chicago has a lot of uh, ties and tentacles to this whole business. Uh, Bill Ayers, who went on to work for the University of Chicago, and he married um, Bernadine Dorn, uh, who was also from a very wealthy family. They were both terrorists in the weather underground. It's just, a, it's a shocking story and frightening. And if you could hear any of the video of them during that time, you would, you, the, your your spine would just... Uh, you would have hairs up on the back of your neck and your spine would crawl because uh, they were creepy people. And Chesa Bodine was the son of a, two of the Weather Underground who spent years in prison. Uh, and the, But he was raised because his parents were in prison. He was raised by Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn, who hate America even to this day. Bernadine is on the staff at Northwestern University Law School. So uh, this is Chesa Bodine, and he's been, you know, rendering... Uh, uh, San Francisco lawless. Larry Elder laid it out very well with Laura Ingram, and I want you to hear what he had to say. Clip one. Look, this is a man who supported Proposition 47 that allows you to steal not up to $950 uh, a day, but per store. And if you get caught, uh, you have committed a misdemeanor, the right you have taken. And because it's a nonviolent offense, you have cashless bail, you're back on the streets. Uh, crime has gone up in San Francisco. Violent crime has gone up in San Francisco. Uh, and that is why today he is facing a recall election. Uh, and this is the same area, by the way, that recalled three left-wing city council members uh, by over 70% of the vote. So I think it's 
Cap City for Mr. Bodine uh, today. And there's another recall possibility here in L.A. That's George Gascon. As you've been talking about it all day, uh, you saw the footage of that uh, driver who plowed into that woman and her eight-month-old eight baby. He was going down the street the wrong way. Uh, he was apparently high on marijuana. Uh, the car was stolen. And he wasn't charged with assault with a with a deadly weapon. He wasn't charged with with uh, with uh, vehicle theft. He wasn't charged with being intoxicated. The victim is furious, and to add insult to injury, Dana uh, Gascon is falsely asserting that the L.A. County Sheriff's Office approved this. They did not, and that is why 97 percent of the Association of L.A. Deputy DAs voted this man no confidence. And L.A. County has 88 cities. 34 uh, city councils have voted this guy no confidence, and the list is growing every day. So these two uh, Soros-backed or Soros-affiliated-backed DAs are l very likely going to go. And uh, it can't be soon enough, as far as I'm concerned. All right, Larry Elder, uh, who was defeated for governor, who knows what happened out there? I wonder if he ran right now, if he could still, if he could win. But we won't find out, I don't suppose. Chase Bodine, as I said, that was uh, recorded before he lost. He lost 61% of the people in San Francisco voted him out, and only 39% wanted him to stay. And that recall of the Los Angeles district, district attorney, uh, George Gascon, is in the works. So there's no, and I mean, it's not even on the ballot, yet they're working on the recall uh, issue. Uh, then a, that's a companion story to a story that came out a couple of days ago that I didn't get to, and that is that this kind of study that shows that George Soros now, who's George Soros? We talk about him all the time. Jokes are made. Is George Soros responsible for everything? Well, he's not responsible for everything, but he's responsible for a lot. He's 91 years old. He's a billionaire. He's a, they call him a philanthropist, yeah. His money is spent on destruction worldwide, but he spends a lot of it here. In the last 30 years, he's spent tons of it in this country trying to destroy uh, our country in every way he can. He's an open borders man. He's a communist. His father was a Nazi. Uh, I could go on and on about George Soros, how in the world he has not come under, under investigation by anyone out of any of our law enforcement agencies this last many years that he's been operating is beyond me. Uh, but he has, um, one of the things he spent $40 million on was electing 75 progressive prosecutors over the last decade. And they have done their damage. You can imagine Chesa Bodine is one of those in San Francisco, but also we've got Kim Fox in Chicago, and we've got uh, Alwyn Bragg in Alvin Bragg in Manhattan, and we've got Larry Krasner in Philadelphia, and we've got Loudoun County, uh, Buta Beberaj, uh, and Los Angeles, of course, Georgia Gascon. So that's not all of them. That's he's got seventy-five, but those are the those are some of the major cities. And to just give you an idea of the horrors that are going on uh, at the because of these radical DA district attorneys, whatever they're called in their local area, um, one of the things that the Justice Department just did, uh, because the Justice Department, um, even though these are local uh, agents that George Soros is funding, the Justice Department is in sync with all of this in terms of letting criminals off. I'll give you one of the latest examples. This happened a few days ago. Remember those two attorneys uh, after the George Floyd, uh, the, the um, killing of George Floyd, whatever you want to call that with the policeman. Remember that the riots broke out in 2020. And at one point, uh, these two uh, attorneys, they were, they were named Collinford Mattis and Arouge Rahman, uh, they took, uh, they tried to kill police officers. They had like, a f let me see, let me read this to you exactly. 
Rahman was caught on tape throwing a firebomb into an unoccupied police car, and Mattis was arrested with more such improvised explosives in his car and was videotaped trying to hand them out to others. And those are very serious crimes. But wouldn't you know, the Justice Department has just moved to change their sentence uh, and to lighten it. And I think they, they're getting, I think, something like uh, 18 to 24 months. All right, now, I, that, that in the backdrop of what I'm going to talk about in a many, minute should just make you furious, make you furious, attorneys, uh, trying to uh, kill policemen and hand out explosive devices, and they get reduced sentences by our Justice Department. Which brings me to a hearing that took place. I think this took place yesterday, and um, this would be... Uh, this is going to take me a little bit of time. You guys, give me a few minutes here. I'm going to develop this before we take a break. Um, you know, the, uh, the the Justice Department, as you know, has changed their emphasis on what they're going to prosecute. They're not prosecuting, uh, for the most part, people of color. If they do, it's it's very mild sentences. Uh, because it, I guess somehow this is payback. This is payback for slavery. That's the only thing I can... They don't say that, but... That must be it, that it's okay for generations of black people who were never slaves to perpetrate crimes on Asians, on white people, on all uh, Mexican, whatever, and, and, and people of color, too, um, who are other colors. It's okay for them to do that uh, because it's like, I don't know, systemic. They, it's the, in, their, in their blood. They've suffered in their blood, not in reality. And so uh, the crime has become exponential. And we know that it's not just that. It's that they want to paint uh, Americans who are white, uh, who love the Constitution and the foundings of the country, as white supremacists. So that brings me to, just to remind you, Merrick Garland, the the Attorney General, uh, made a statement last year. And so this is a statement by him, followed by a statement by Attorney General, Deputy Attorney General Matthew Olson, just to give you, just to set the stage of what we're getting ready to experience this Thursday night with that hearing and the backdrop of why all this crime is being allowed. This is clip two. The top domestic violent extremist threat comes from racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists, specifically those who advocated for the superiority of the white race. I've decided to establish a domestic terrorism unit to augment our existing approach. This group of dedicated attorneys will focus on the domestic terrorism threat. Yeah, so, and it's all about white white supremacism. This is what they tell us. I, I would really love to ask them what the category they would put the Chinese from mainland China shooter in that church uh, shooting and killing all these Taiwanese Christians in the church, oh, what, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the Chinese shooter turns out to be a you know mainland Chinese communist who you know came to the United States to live where communism is now you know welcomed and accepted and he goes in and uh, shoots and kills Taiwanese Christians. I wonder what kind of crime that is. This is getting very confusing. I guess it's not a crime at all because he wasn't white technically and uh, he wasn't killing black people. So it's uh, it's twisted. Uh, but this is where we are. I, I do think we need to take a break. And when we come back, we'll, we're going to start with a clip from uh, Dick Durbin in a, in a committee hearing yesterday. Oh, it's interesting. He's doing what he always does. I've told you that Dick Durbin is an incredible liar. And I told you that I've watched this happen since I was in Chicago and he first ran for Senate. 
He ran against a friend of mine, and I've never been around someone who lied as much as Dick Durbin. I was astounded. And then I went to D.C., and I found out they grow that there. They grow those kind of people there. It's kind of amazing. And as I debated those kind of people like James Carville, where there was not a true thing that came out of their mouth, I learned this is the way it is. They are. They have mastered the art of lying. So when we return, we'll listen to Senator Dick Durbin tell a big lie. So stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The Ministry of Preborn is the ultimate life support, helping moms in crisis choose life. I definitely would have gone down the wrong road and probably would not have given my son life if they had not been there to support me. From giving me the ultrasound to throwing a baby shower, and they went out and they got churches to cover my bills. They helped me through so much. It was just incredible. Preborn centers are the ultimate life support for moms in crisis across America, providing hope, love, and free ultrasounds. He's 10 and he's my little angel. Preborn clinics are the largest providers of free ultrasounds in the United States. Would you join with Preborn in rescuing babies? One ultrasound is just $28, or five ultrasounds are $140. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or go to preborn.com. If you are 65 or older, you know this. It's really frustrating to deal with out-of-pocket medical expenses, watching your hard-earned dollars just flying out the window. Well, here's something that can really help, and it's worth taking a minute to look into. MediShare has a new option called MediShare 65+. Plus. MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's healthcare bills, and it really is a community. People encourage and pray for each other. And MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B that fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. It's great for peace of mind. And you can use your Medicare-approved doctor and get prescription savings, dental and vision savings, very worth looking into, and it's so easy to find out why people rave about the customer service at MediShare. They're great to talk to on the phone. Here's the number. Call 833-45-BIBLE. That's 833-45-BIBLE. 833-45-BIBLE. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. Hey, this is Evangelist Nick Hall. Coming this summer, Together 22. 50 years ago, Explo 72, led by Billy Graham, rallied an entire generation to share the gospel. This summer, June 24th and 25th, we're doing it again. And it's free. Together 22 will feature some of the biggest names in Christian music, some of the best preachers coming to equip you. More information at Pulse.org. Former Trump White House advisor Peter Navarro was indicted on two counts of contempt of Congress. Mr. Navarro refused to comply with the subpoena to appear in front of the House January 6th committee. Mr. Navarro lives next door to the FBI headquarters, so you think they would have just asked him to drop by. But that's not what happened. Instead, he was arrested at the airport in Nashville, put in shackles and leg irons. The 72-year-old Harvard grad was frog-marched through the airport. It was humiliating. Now consider how the Justice Department treated former Obama Attorney General Eric Holder. 
He too was found in contempt of Congress, but he was not arrested. He was not frog-marched from his office building. One set of rules governing Democrats, another for Republicans, and more specifically for anyone wanting to make America great again. I'm Todd Starnes. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. I first held a hearing on domestic terrorism in the year 2012, 10 years ago, after a white supremacist murdered seven Sikh worshipers in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. Sadly, 10 years later, this threat has only grown worse. In the decades since Oak, Oak Creek, violent white supremacists have killed innocent Americans in a series of sickening attacks. They include mass shootings at the Emanuel AME Church in South Carolina in 2015, Pittsburgh's Tree Life Synagogue in 2018, and Walmart in El Paso, Texas in 2019. While each of these attacks was committed by a lone gunman, they're part of a larger pattern. Don't take my word for it. During the prior administration, the FBI and Department of Homeland Security found that, and I quote, white supremacist extremism poses a persistent threat of lethal violence, and that since 2000, white supremacists, quote, were responsible for more homicides than any other domestic extremist group. That was a finding by our government. White supremacists were responsible for more homicides than any other domestic extremist movement. White supremacist violence has swept across America, and this trend raises the obvious question. Why is it getting worse? We cannot deny that hate has a big platform. As we all saw in the video, the video there are media figures like Tucker Carlson dragging racist conspiracy theories into mainstream America. More than 400 episodes of Tucker Carlson's show have amplified the so-called Great Replacement Conspiracy Theory, guiding principle of modern white supremacist movement. As lawmakers, we must speak at one voice in repudiating this incendiary rhetoric, along with any individual or extremist group that resorts to violence. Okay, so there you go. So, I, I you know, I don't have the stats on um, the white supremacist violence. So I can't, I, I could just tell you, I know Dick Durbin, and I know that uh, he doesn't. He doesn't stick to the facts, and I, uh, nobody doubts that the Justice Department. They've as much as said this: that white supremacy is their number one goal. It started with Eric Holder when he took over when Barack Obama was elected, and he said that we're going to have a we're going to have a national discussion on race is the issue of everything. Race is at the bottom of everything. We're going to start. We're going to come to grips with the racism in this country. And again, I remember when he made that statement, and I remember thinking. Now, I talk about race a lot. I've been talking about race relations, uh, really, since I was a girl. That's a long story. Uh, but publicly, since I was on radio in Chicago, where I had a, a very large black audience, and we had incredible conversations. Some of them were tense, always very honest, uh, but some of them were great. You know, we just had, we had a wonderful rapport, and I'm fully aware of racism on both sides, and I'm fully aware of the issues. I'm pretty much an expert on this, I believe. And I have to tell you that after all of this, uh, all of the machinations we've gone through as a country, when Barack Obama was elected, I felt we were in a very good place in terms of the racial dynamics. Else, how is it we elected a black president? Please tell me. 
If there was so much hatred for black people, how did most Americans end up voting for a black president? Just tell me about that. How, how come Oprah Winfrey is so popular and has millions and millions of, at the time, so followers? So how come there are so many multimillionaire black successful people and middle-class black Americans doing so well? Wait a minute. Okay, so that was so that is really what started. That is really the marker. I remember it well of uh, our country starting then to discuss, go back and kind of stoke the wounds that were there and real and very hurtful. So let's go back and talk about all those things that happened again in the 30s, in the 60s. Let's teach our children, teach our children, and then let's teach our children that all white people feel that way still, the very same way that your grandparents were treated. That's how white people feel, which is an abject lie, destructive, destructive. And so um, that's Dick Durbin talking. But the one thing I can say, even if I don't have the stats on uh, you know, white supremacist violence as, as categorized by the Justice Department, I'm just guessing, call me crazy, but of course I am from Chicago. I kind of think that if you tallied black on black violence, just in Chicago, you would find a whole lot more murders and violence of blacks toward blacks than you would ever find of whites toward blacks in the entire country. So I'm just guessing. Somebody can tally it and tell me I'm wrong, but that's what I think about that. Uh, but that's what they're doing. They're trying to set this the narrative because uh, in there, what they want to set is this narrative that Donald Trump was a racist, a white supremacist. He gave no evidence of that whatsoever. But, you know, hey, whatever they say must be true. And, of course, then all the people that support Donald Trump, like me, we're all racists. Uh, and so... This is where they're leading because they've got their big show trial uh, on Thursday night, their big hearing, and they have their big producer from ABC, <laughs> uh, the producer that uh, refused to cover the story of Jeffrey Epstein and his molestation of all these girls through all these years and all of the high-profile, important men who went to Pedophile Island with Jeffrey Epstein and flew on his plane, the Lolita Express, they called it, because Lolita was a story about um, child sex uh, way, way back. That's why they called it that. And people like Bill Clinton were frequent, you know, tenders to this island and uh, uh, flyers on Lolita, Lolita Express. But that's the one name we know. But let me just say the guy that uh, was the head of ABC at the time was the guy that's now going to be producing this primetime special Thursday night of the J6 uh, committee. It's, it's going to be incredible. I'll get back to that in a second. But I want to go back to Durbin in this committee hearing. So uh, Ted Cruz was there. It was the Judiciary Committee, as I understand it. And he had a response. So let's listen. Clip 14. Unfortunately, we see over and over again efforts to politicize acts of violence. When it comes to white supremacy, when it comes to vicious hate groups like the Klan or the Nazi Party. In my view, they are unequivocally hateful, bigoted, racist morons who should be denounced and despised. I do think my colleagues on the Democratic side of the aisle try very hard to erase the history of the Klan, that it was formed by elected Democrats, that its leadership 
was almost entirely elected Democrats, that the authors of the Jim Crow laws were without exception elected Democrats. And I also think today's congressional Democrats try to use the charge of white supremacy, which is undoubtedly evil, bigoted, and wrong, and weaponized by their own party, they try to use that as a proxy for attacking a political party they disagree with. Yeah, I guess so. So that's the other part of it that Ted uh, you know, points out. When there was this terrible, horrible racism in the 30s and into the 60s, it was led by Democrats. That doesn't mean there wasn't a single racist Republican. I think re- Republicans at the time, I'll tell you right now, even until the time I was really getting into radio, uh, Republicans were racist in a different way. Uh, they were more quiet. And I remember just trying to pull them along to get to seek out black candidates to form friendships. But it was a more like the Republicans. There was such a gulf between uh, Republicans and the black community. They, they didn't, their lives didn't intersect. It wasn't so much a hatred. It was like a, like a not, like the other, not, not really knowing who they were. And for the Democrats, you know, they, they claimed to go in and befriend, but they did tremendous damage. Uh, well, first of all, they were racist. They were the ones that headed the Ku Klux Klan, like Robert Byrd, who was a senator from West Virginia for decades, was uh, the grand, what is, grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. I mean, it was Democrats who led all of that, and the Jim Crow laws, he's not exaggerating. Uh, and Republicans, while they were, again, I think more passively, you just, like I said, it's more like the other, not, not like um, not like outright like racism, like we might need to hang them or kill them or beat them or send the dogs after them, which is what the racists were doing that were Democrats. But Republicans were not getting involved like they should have, although I'm making broad sweeping comments. Of course, there are exceptions. But... Um, I would say now we are in a very different place. We are in a very different place where our cultures and our races have mingled much more. We are living together, working together. I actually have often thought, you know, how I would personally, I would so miss if it should ever even be possible to extract black people from this country. No one's talking about doing that, by the way, but if someone, maybe some of the racists that do exist, a few thousand of them, uh, would like to do that. I would uh, personally. What a what a loss. Our cultures have merged, and I think Black cultures brought something really wonderful, spontaneous, warm, loving, and funny, and just brilliant in different ways. Uh, that's expanded what America is. I, I don't I don't want to lose that. And I sure as heck I get so mad at the the way they've tried to divide us, and they've really done a good job by stoking the flames of the past on both sides, making, making uh, white Americans resentful of the um, abject crime uh, by some, by the fringe group of uh, bl- like Black Lives Matter, and how horrible for, for black Americans who are law-abiding. And just, you know, they're successful, they're raising their kids, uh, they have the same values as many of us. How horrible for them uh, to be viewed with the same lens as, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement. And that's what I'm sure some white people do. They don't make that distinction. And the same way with blacks toward whites, they, some, some black Americans are so racist that they really do hate all white people. I know that's true. And, and we, do we want to continue that? I mean, that's never, we're never going to 
I'll be able to um, co- I hate that word coexist because they so well they so twisted it. Uh, but we we need to learn to just to get past that. That's part of the heart of Scripture is that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free. Um, and uh, that is the, that's part of the gospel. God looks on the outward appearance, but man looks on the heart. And I think America has come a long way on that. And um, I, I'm not about to let them take that away, not in my heart. So anyway, back to uh, my friend Dick Durbin, who's trying to do that. He's so good at it. Uh, but I want to tell you something that's happened, and I want to kind of morph to the J6 thing. Because a story came out, and I think I told you about this yesterday, but there's a long article. Let's see. Yeah, this was two days ago. It came out in the New York Times. The Proud Boys have been charged with sedition. I told you that yesterday, and I also told you that the Oath Keepers have been also charged with sedition, which is just ridiculous. Julie Kelly points out that none of the Oath Keepers or the Proud Boys face any weapons charges. None. And she makes the point. I'll read her words because they're good. How does one overthrow the government with cell phones and costumes? Well, that's a good question. If they don't have guns, how in, the, how in the world were they going to do that insurrection? What were they going to do? They're going to go into the Capitol and take it over with, uh, you know, camouflage gear? And with uh, They didn't have weapons. I, so it's, it's really ridiculous. And that takes me to the next point. Uh, someone else tweeted. This is Julie's tweet again. I didn't realize this was from Julie. She said, once upon a time, the media and political leaders of both sides would be screaming from the rafters, at the flagrant collusion between DOJ and Congressional Committee, led by the same party, to destroy the other side. It's happening before our eyes and not a peep from the Senate GOP. And that means Mitch McConnell and leaders of the GOP. What's she talking about? Well, do you think it's an accident that the New York Times came out June the 6th with an article about the Proud Boys being charged with sedition? This big, long article just a few days before the January 6th committee is going to hear you think there's some timing and coordination in there? I kind of think so. And that's Julie's point, that the media and the Democrats are colluding once again, and so is the Justice Department, to try to set this up in a way that is to their advantage to paint Donald Trump as a racist, to get him arrested, uh, to get anybody involved that day arrested and punished, as they did with Peter Navarro, and to get the rest of us who supported Donald Trump and love this country in the same position. I just can't imagine how that's going to happen when I think of my common sense, you know, unless we just, you know, roll over and let them do this, uh, I don't see how that's going to happen. I just think we have to still just truth, 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 and speaking the truth and not bending. There's freedom in that, and I'll give you an example of that when we return. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Airing the Addisons. Sherry B and J Mac are on tap to help us navigate the show. Well, the great, where do we go next? All right, let's go to Brad in Arkansas. Hi, Brad. Good afternoon. I enjoy your show as always. Applying scripture to life. You can talk about anything that we have discussed this week or maybe something that you want to bring to our attention. If we don't know about it, we're just going to tell you we don't know about it. You know, and then you'll just have to, you know, judge me. I'm sorry. Bearing <laughs> the Addisons. Weekdays at 2 Central on American Family Radio. What does the American Family Association stand for? AFA believes that all men and women, whether in private or public, should be free to exercise their faith without hindrance from the government. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation 
Thank you for standing with us. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. According to the state of Georgia, early voting turnout during its 2022 midterm primary election was 168% more than it was in 2018, their last gubernatorial primary, and 212% higher than it was during the 2020 presidential primary year. Though corporations tried to beat each other in the woke Olympics, Major League Baseball moved its all-star game, and Mr. J. Robinette called Georgia's 2021 election integrity law Jim Crow 2.0, Jim Eagle. Georgians voted in record numbers, including minority voters. Who'd have thunk it? Voter ID law and increased voter participation. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Persecuted Christians in China, they're beaten, jailed, and threatened with death, and they need your help today. This is Bible League International, and just outside of Beijing, 12-year-old Ming became a believer after learning English as a second language through a program from Bible League because the Bible is the source of the reading assignments. Ming would lead her father, Daiku, a Confucianist to Christ, but her bitter atheist mother has turned them in for attending a house church near their home outside of Beijing. Now, we're not sure what's going to happen to these two, but they remain faithful in worship, and they're praying for Bibles because in their church of two There's only about three Bibles. Many are known to stay after the service to write down some scriptures just to have something to take into their week. And 50-year-old Katsu, beaten and jailed many times as a pastor, he led his atheist interrogator to Christ. Together they've seen thousands come to Christ. They need Bibles in China. We're sending God's Word to 16,000 persecuted believers. We have to do this by the end of June. So at $5 a Bible, call 800-YES-WORD, 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 or give it sendbiblesnow.org. Sendbiblesnow.org. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. The Summit of the Americas taking place in Los Angeles this week should be a moment to address a shocking reality. As a result of decades of not-so-benign neglect of the region by the U.S. government, one Latin American nation after another has succumbed to the temptation to vote in communists or other Marxists in the name of change. Today, the most important nations in our hemisphere, including increasingly our own, are embracing and promoting the radical left agenda of the modern communist international, doing business as the Forum of Sao Paulo, under the influence of China, Russia, and Iran. Two more, Brazil and Colombia, may enlist this year. Instead of focusing on climate change, social justice, and buying oil from Venezuela, Team Biden should be concentrating on preserving and expanding the freedoms the Forum of Sao Paulo seeks to crush. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. This week's hearing, the January 6th hearing, which surely are the most important hearings since Watergate. Hearings are going to be quite compelling. I think they understand the importance of leveraging live television um, to to convince uh, the American public uh, how serious this was. We have this committee investigation coming up, which, again, if you really love America, if you believe in American democracy, if you're a patriot, you want to know what happened on January 6th. All right. Yes, we got to really know. I mean, that's uh, we're going to know exactly what happened uh, Thursday night at eight o'clock. Uh, the January 6th committee, you know, produced by the former president of ABC is going to do a really big show, a really big show. For those of you that are 
too young. That was my really bad rendition of, of uh, Ed Sullivan on his uh, amateur hour. Um, so from a long time ago. And so uh, this guy's producing it. It's going to be, you know, a big, uh, a big production. And they're going to, they want all Americans to watch. It's going to be like a, you know, like, like a Netflix series. It'll just be terrific. Uh, but of course, it'll be about as true as a Netflix series because there will be no opposition. No one will be bringing any kind of opposition story uh, to what's happening. And if you don't believe that, even CNN, Ryan Noble had this to say, clip five. It's largely going to be a controlled message, even though there are Republicans on the panel. Uh, these Republicans and Democrats are working in unison. That means there's going to be no opposition voices during these hearings. Yeah, there'll be Republicans on. There's two of them, Liz Cheney uh, and, uh, uh, yes, and the guy from Chicago who hates Adam Kinzinger, who hates President Trump. So those are the—it'll be really fair and balanced, trust me. And we're learning more things, and I'm gonna. I want to explain some things to you that I think are just um, amazing, uh, things that I had not heard before that I just had in my inbox this morning. Okay, then these are things. The point is that this is stuff you will not hear Thursday night. I guarantee you, you will not hear what I'm going to tell you. For one thing, it looks as though uh, it'll be interesting to see. Remember, one person was killed uh, on. January the 6th, and that was Ashley Babbitt. Remember that Ashley was a military veteran. Uh, she was a Trump supporter. She was shot while she was climbing a, up a door uh, leading to the House chamber. Now, that sounds terrible, but now we know, because we have so much video of that day, which the Capitol Police refused to release, and people have just been gathering it piece by piece, bit by bit. Now we see that Ashley is there in that moment trying to talk the men who are trying to tear down the barrier or the wall or the, the windows between where the protesters were and the house, she's trying to tell them to stop it. You can see it. She says, stop, don't do that. Stop that. She's trying to stop them. And the, I don't know why she was climbing up. Her, her husband speculated she was trying to get out because it got so crowded. Uh, I don't understand that, and I can't, I don't know. But suddenly she was shot by a Capitol policeman, Michael Byrd. Now, here's the story. Here's the story. And you it'll be interesting. It'll be worth watching Thursday night just to see if they ever even tell this story because they talk about the violence. They talk about gunshots, but there was only one gunshot. It was from a Capitol policeman killing Ashley Babbitt. She was murdered. And um, the reason I say she was murdered is because of this. Are you ready? This is a uh, an investigation by Paul Sperry. Paul is just a renowned uh, investigative reporter, very fair and even-handed. Um, and so here it is. When U.S. Capitol Police Lieutenant Michael Byrd went on NBC Nightly News, remember that? He told his story to Lester Holt, and he seemed like a really nice guy, and, you know, uh, so he tells his story, but here's the story. When he went on Nightly News to tell his side of the story of shooting and killing unarmed January 6th rioter Ashley Babbitt, he made a point to note that he'd been investigated by several agencies and exonerated for his actions on that day. And this is what he said. There's an investigative process, and I was cleared by the DOJ, the FBI, the Metropolitan Police, he told NBC News anchor Lester Holt in August, adding that the Capitol Police also cleared him of wrongdoing and decided not to discipline or demote him for the shooting. Bird then answered a series of questions by Holt about the shooting, but what he told the friendly journalist, he likely never told investigators. That's because 
He refused to answer their questions, according to several sources. In fact, investigators cleared Byrd of wrongdoing in the shooting without actually interviewing him about the shooting or threatening him with punishment if he did not cooperate with their criminal investigation. Babbitt family attorney Terry Roberts said, It's astonishing how skimpy the investigation file is. Roberts said he had spoken with a D.C. uh, Metropolitan Police Department detective assigned to the case and said the kid glove treatment of Byrd raises suspicions that the investigation was a whitewash. The lawyer's account appears to be backed up by a January 2021 internal affairs report which notes that Byrd, quote, declined to provide a statement, end quote. Paul Sperry's article goes on to say, uh, but still, they concluded in August that the officer's conduct was lawful and within department policy. That's without him even making a statement or going for an interview. None of the agencies involved that he said interviewed him. He did not submit to an interview. He did not answer their questions. And then Paul says, in April, within four months of the shooting, Byrd was cleared of criminal wrongdoing by the Justice Department, which declined to impanel a grand jury to hear evidence in a departure from other lethal police shooting cases involving unarmed citizens. So, of course, Byrd happened to be black, and Ashley happened to be white. And we all know, according to the Justice Department, the, 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 we only have violence, white supremacy. It's only whites on blacks. That's, that's what it is, which is a lie from the pit of hell because, as I've said before, uh, color has, no, has nothing to do with your wicked heart. Nothing. Uh, wicked hearts come in all colors. By the way, my, ha- my husband handed me a note. <laughs> I just quoted a verse from Samuel about uh, God looking on the heart, and I got it backwards. Man looks, man looks on the outwards appearance, and God looks on the heart. And so I, it's right. I needed to get that right. Um, so in April, a bird gets off. He gets cleared. The Justice Department ruled that there was not enough evidence to conclude Byrd violated Babbitt's civil rights or willfully acted recklessly. He didn't even act recklessly. Now, he claimed that he warned her. Let's see if I can find that part. By the way, it says Byrd waited to speak publicly until after his statements could no longer be used against him in a criminal probe. The heavily promoted NBC exclusive told only his account of what happened with no opposing viewpoints. He said, I believe I showed the utmost courage on January 6th. That was his assessment of what he did. So um, then there is another part of this, I know, but I, I, I don't know where it is in this because it's a long report. He did not warn, he said that he warned her, but he did not warn her. And that was the other part that's uh, been, uh, yeah, here we go. Uh, he said, um, Paul Sperry said, Bird did not issue a warning directly to unarmed Babbitt before shooting her. He shouted, get back to rioters, and then saw a rioter, rioter with a backpack on, on start to climb through one of the broken glass doors, and he stepped forward and fired. Okay, so that's, uh, we'll put that uh, on our getter page. That's cop who killed Ashley Babbitt was cleared of criminal wrongdoing without an interview. That is just disgusting. It really is just so thoroughly Disgusting. And then you may or may not know, uh, now which way shall I go here? Because I've got another big story to tell you. I think, I think I'll go to Jim Jordan. Jim is uh, saying that the FBI, FBI members are coming forward to talk related to this whole thing, too. Let's just listen to Jim talk, Congressman Jim Jordan uh, tell the story. Clip four. 
Decorated Iraqi war veteran being run out of the FBI. His allegiance to the country is being questioned because he had he had the, the, the gall to say something that offended the FBI leadership about the January 6th investigation. The other one is also having the same thing happen to them simply because on an anonymous questionnaire, they said something that the leadership disagreed with them about January 6th. And I would put out, uh, point out, Laura, that we now have had six agents come forward as whistleblowers. Two on the school board's narrative, school on the, uh, on the school board's issue, and four now regarding January 6th. That is a concern to us, but we've had literally a half a dozen FBI agents come to our committee. The legacy of, of, of the Attorney General Garland right now is the school board's issue, writing the memorandum that treats moms and dads as, as domestic terrorists. That's the legacy thus far in his, in his tenure as, as Attorney General. But this weaponization of government against your political foes is exactly what's going on. So much so we had the Disinformation Governance Board, and but for your efforts and others pointing this out, that still might be in operation. That is how the left is operating. In the context here with, with the FBI, remember, a few years ago they spied on President Trump, then it was the, the actions they took against parents regarding uh, the school board situation. And then two whistleblowers last month had come forward who attended the January 6th rally on their own time with their spouse, didn't go in the Capitol, haven't been charged, but they've had their security clearance taken from them too, which is always the first step in termination. Again, one of those individuals was also a, a, a veteran of our armed forces. This is happening and it is as wrong as wrong can be. All right. Uh, so, uh, and one of the agents told uh, Jim Jordan that uh, the FBI is in full payback mode, you know, uh, punishing agents who had, had a different view or even were there on January the 6th. It's disgusting. And that's the Justice Department. That's what they're doing. All right. I wanted, I promised I, there's something else I want to tell you, and this is very important. Um, Cash Patel and uh, let's see, the Christopher Miller, who was with the Trump, um, Trump team, were on last night with... Uh, yeah, they were on Fox. Sean Hannity, and uh, they were. This is the story. Look, we knew this, but I'd never heard it presented with so clearly and by other people that would know. Actually, let me just be quiet. I'm going to run out of time here. Let's let Chris, Christopher Miller tell the story. Clip twelve. I can't help but think 78 years ago tonight, if we were alive, uh, Cash and I would have been on the front lines. You would have been there along with Edward R. Murrow and Walter Cronkite uh, taking back Europe from the Nazis. And uh, this is our front line now. So thanks for taking this on and, and being serious about it. There hasn't been enough serious conversation. Yeah, it's not one of those. Thanks again, Sean, like Chris said, for having us, especially on D-Day, to talk about this serious matter. It's not one of those meetings you forget. The Secretary of Defense, Chris Miller, the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, the Chief of Staff to the President of the United States of America, Mark Meadows, and the President of the United States himself in the Oval Office talking about some of the most serious national security threats we were facing. And then we pivoted to setting up for January 6th, and Mr. Trump unequivocally authorized up to 20,000 National Guards men and women for us to utilize should the second part of the law, the request come in. But those requests never did, as you highlight. The meeting was uh, one of, it was one of the serious kind of heavy meetings I've been in, and it was about a foreign threat that was directed towards the United States, which obviously we can't talk to for about for fear of, you know, ended up in jail. And uh, so I want to, I, I kind of want to like be clear, the president as we're leaving 
and says, hey, one more thing. And we all sat back down and we discussed what was going on in January 6th. I don't want to because I think that's important to bring up so that uh, the opposition doesn't get this idea that this was the purpose of the meeting. The president was doing exactly what I expect the commander in chief to do, any commander in chief to do. He was looking at the broad threats against the United States, and he brought this up as on his own. We did not bring it up. All right. So the point of this is that at least two days, maybe three days before January the 6th, in this meeting with Chris Miller, who was the director of national, the National Terrorism Center, and uh, Mark Milley uh, and Cash Patel, who was uh, over national security, uh, they talked about bringing in the National Guard. It was the president's idea. Bring in the National Guard. 20,000 troops. I'm authorizing it. This is what happened. Cash Patel, clip 13. The National Guard reports in through the chain of command. That is through the Secretary of Defense and the Secretary of the Army. There's a delegation memo that Christopher Miller was smart enough to craft in order to save time so that we would not have to go through bureaucratic gymnastics should the request come in. That memorandum was executed by the Office of the Secretary of Defense, the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and the Secretary of the Army who controls the National Guard. I hope that memorandum is in the hands of the January 6th committee, along with a slew of email traffic between the offices I just mentioned, outlining and with particularity the request from the President of the United States for up to 20,000 National Guardsmen and the denial of that request by Mayor Bowser and the Capitol Police and other federal agencies. Those are the documents that a Congressional Committee of Oversight who cares about the truth, those are the documents that should be put forth before the American public, though I doubt they will on Thursday in this Hollywood bonanza that they're attempting to bury the facts. All right, so this this is the point. If you have missed the point, President Trump, it was his idea to call out 20,000 National Guard. Muriel Bowser refused. But now the committee, I guarantee you they're not going to mention this because they want to tell you that President Trump was responsible for January 6th, that he was encouraging the 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 insurrection. It wasn't an insurrection, but that's their words. They're going to try to criminally charge him. And you need to remember, he was trying to lay in place a way to bring order because he had figured that there would be trouble on that day from all sides. And so um, there, there's truth. There's just a bucket load of truth for you this morning. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.